Imagine you're a runner in the Olympics. You hear the gunshot, you take off running, and you quickly see all your competitors get out ahead of you. And you try and you run as fast and as hard as you can, but everybody crosses the finish line before you. And finally, out of breath, you cross the finish line and you all line up with the other competitors and they're handing out the awards for running and you just kind of hang your head in shame. You're like, I came in last, like I'm not gonna get anything. And they stop in front of you for a minute and you're like, what? What's going on? And all of a sudden they say, congratulations, here's your gold medal, you came in last place. And you're like, that'd be weird, That's a, that doesn't sound right. And uh, before you complain, like, man, that sounds like something Gen Z would do, because they're all snowflakes and they want a trophy for everything. This idea isn't a modern idea. Jesus said that. The last will be first. In fact, he actually says it twice, back to back, almost as if the people listening to him wouldn't believe it, almost as if we reading it years later wouldn't believe it. And so he's like, I'm going to say it twice just so that you really hear it and it's not misunderstood. We're in a new series about the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom, and we, we use this term upside-down, or this upside-down imagery, to convey the way the kingdom of God challenges the prevailing social order of our world today. How the values of Jesus' kingdom stand in an inverse relationship to the values of our world. How what looks like losing in the eyes of our culture looks like winning in the eyes of Jesus. How what looks like losing in Jesus' eyes looks like winning in the eyes of our culture. And sometimes even in the eyes of the church. The way Jesus sees the world, some of the people we think are winners, some of the people that we think, man, they're just killing it, they're at the top of their game, these are the winners in life in Jesus' eyes, are really losers. And some people that we look at and think their life is small or pointless are actually winners in God's eyes. The Russian playwright Anton, only God can tell the difference between success and failure. Sometimes we look at something and we're like, man, that was a failure, and God actually sees a success. And sometimes we look at someone who we think is successful, and they're actually, in God's eyes, a failure. There are times when you took a risk or you took a leap of faith or you tried something new and it felt like you failed, it felt like you came in last place, and I think Jesus would whisper, what looks like last place to you is actually first place to me. It wasn't wasted, it was a win. You don't need to hang your head in defeat, Jesus is ha handing out gold medals. So, this morning we're going to look at these two places where Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. We're going to start with the first one in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who were last will be first. Now, right before Jesus says this, a rich man comes up to Jesus and wants to follow him. But Jesus says, your, your riches are a barrier to learning how to live and love like I do. So he tells him, give away all your riches. 
And at this, the man is like, what? He's completely shocked by that. Can you imagine if churches said this? You came in, and they're like, give away all your riches. That would, we'd be like, that's crazy. The man goes away, though. He chooses to reject discipleship to Jesus because he was very rich, and his status and identity were all based in his wealth. His success wasn't based in becoming like Jesus. It was based in, based in having a lot of stuff. His salvation and security were in his wealth, not in Jesus. His money felt like winning, and Jesus says, I want you to give that up because real winning is becoming like me. And he says, no, no, no. I, like, I can't give this up. I'll be a loser. I'll be losing if I give this up. Jesus said, you're going to miss out on the kingdom if you can't get past your money. He was going to lose out because he couldn't let go of the one thing he incorrectly thought made him a winner. Sometimes the things that we think will make us successful the things we ask God for, the things we beg God for, we plead with God to give us, are things that God actually sees as failures and not successes, or might be things that actually destroy our souls. A few years ago, I was talking with a mentor, and I said, my church plant is going to be successful when it reaches X number of people. I don't even remember what I said. 50, 100, 200, I I don't know. It was years ago when I was quite idealistic. And so I said some number, and then I said, and when it has X amount of money in the bank, and I don't even remember what I said, and when we see X number of people baptized, making professions of faith, and saying they want to become students of how Jesus lived and loved. And my mentor, an older man who's pastored for many years, he sat on the video call across from me, and he was just quiet for a little while, and then he said to me, he said, Alex, don't define success differently than Jesus would. I had all these things that I thought meant that my church plant was successful, and he said, don't define success differently than Jesus would. He told me, Jesus thinks you're successful when you're obedient, not when you have a bunch of results that people applaud for. There's probably some things in your life, too, where you think, man, once I get this, then I'll be successful, then I'll have arrived. Once I get this, then I'll be somebody. Once I see this happen, don't define success differently than Jesus I'm so quick to call a failure what God calls a victory. Uh, even when something really good happens, I'm like, it could have been better. That could have been twice that size. You know, a little bit of, some of that's my personality, but that also means many times I fail to celebrate a victory and I somehow turn it into a failure. If my church, if this church had grown exponentially, I wouldn't have done the deep soul work that growing slowly has caused me to do. Um, I had a lot of ego, especially when I started this church. I had a lot of ego tied up in it, and I wanted to look successful. I wanted to be seen as a resource. Like, people come to me like, how do you start churches? And I'm like, well, I know all about it. Look what I've done. Look at this amazing church I've started, right? I wanted to be this resource and this authority on starting churches. And honestly, if everything that I thought was success had happened, I'd probably be a pretty arrogant jerk if things had gone like I hoped. People would be praising me even while my soul was festering. There are probably, probably areas in your life that haven't gone like you hoped. And I think if you're like me, there's probably been a lot of areas like that in your life. Don't naturally assume that it's a failure because it didn't take the same path as someone else or didn't happen like you imagined or when you imagined. We've been trained to have very narrow ideas about success. God is much more interested in what's happening inside us rather than what is happening around us. He's more interested in who we are becoming than what we are doing. Just because things are big or busy doesn't mean they are successful for our souls. Last week, uh, 
our guest speaker, Sam Spadafore, he said, what we usually call successful are things that act like a cancer, that grow uncontrollably. But the things of God, he said, work small or start small, work slowly and permeate thoroughly. We like things that grow like weeds, not things that grow like sequoias. I've never seen a sequoia in person, but every time I see a picture, I'm like, that can't be real. That's the fourth moon of Endor right there from Return of the Jedi, you know? I'm like, that, that's on an alien planet. There's no way trees are that big. Someday I'd like to go out there and see them. Redwood trees last hundreds of years and weeds die out in a season. But many times we're chasing after successes that are more like weeds than successes that are like sequoias. In Zechariah 4.10, it says, Do not despise things that start small, for Yahweh rejoices to see small things begin. If we're not careful, we will despise the very thing that God celebrates because it's small. And many times we'll celebrate the very thing that God despises. We're chasing after things that he's like, that's failure in my eyes. Don't even go after that. Sometimes we need to reflect on our lives. The failures might just have shaped our souls with humility in a way that success never would have. Sometimes what feels like losing might just be the winning formula for our souls. So Jesus continues this idea. He's talking back and forth with his disciples, and he continues this idea in chapter 20. We just read in chapter 19. He's going to say the same statement again about the first will be last and the last first. In chapter 20, starting in verse 1, he tells them this story. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard to work. About nine in the morning, he went out, and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they also went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the exact same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out, and he still found people standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a, a denarius. And when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive something more. They're like, hey, these guys only worked an hour and they got a denarius. He promised us the denarius, but I bet we get a bunch more. But each of them was also received only a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, and they said, And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. And he answered one of them, am I, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Don't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? I sometimes think about these words when I look at somebody else and how God is blessing their life, and I think, am I envious because God is generous? Verse 16, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. One denarius for a day was about 10 times the going rate for day laborers, um, I think we have a picture of a Roman denarius up here. Um, hard to see on the big screen, but these are coins are still around. They were silver milt, minted coins by the Roman emperor. Um, 50 denarii was the common wage per year for an adult. So an average person would have about 50 of these coins for their wage for a year. 
So with one denarius, some historical accounts say you could buy 10 donkeys. So that's pretty good. One day's work and you could buy 10 donkeys with the pay that you're getting here. Pretty good for a single working day. The landowner here is a picture of the Heavenly Father who is very generous. And then Jesus ends the story by reinforcing what he said before, that the first will be last and the last will be first. That's his one-liner to outline uh, this story about the abundant generosity of God. God doesn't just do what is fair, he does what is good. We can all celebrate the fact that God doesn't give us what we deserve, he gives us good. That's called grace. That God doesn't add up all the bad we've done and try to weigh it against the good. No, he gives us good because he is good, not because we are good. We've all contributed to the chaos and the disorder in our world by the destructive things we thought or said or done, things that affect ourselves or others or the world itself. And yet Jesus offers all of us salvation and reconciliation between us and God. God thinks so much differently than you and I do. We primarily think about life with a scarcity mentality. If someone is winning, that means someone else is losing. But that's not how God thinks at all. God has infinite resources. He never has to worry about running out of love or getting tired or not having enough power to help. Um, those of you who know me very well know I love board games. I'm kind of obsessed with board games. Um, not so much games like Clue or Monopoly. Like, I'll play those because I love board games. But I really love Euro games like Catan or Ticket to Ride or Wingspan, or I could name about 50 more that I have. One of my favorite types of Euro games is worker placement games. So I'm going to nerd out about board games for a minute, but I'm going to bring this back. It's going gonna, it's gonna to apply. Um, in worker placement games, you use meeples. I don't know why they're called meeples, but that's what they're called. They look like little wooden people. Sometimes they're made out of plastic. A lot of times they're wood. And they're all kinds of different shapes. Sometimes they're people, sometimes they're animals. I have a farming board game where you have little farmer meeples. I have a game where you have little dragon meeples. I have another game where there's little pig or sheep meeples. Um, I love meeples. This one game I bought simply because it had cute little wooden donkey meeples. I know, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Um, you place these meeples on certain spaces to take actions, like getting resources or collecting cards, but you only have a limited number of meeples, so you're limited in what you can do on one turn. For instance, if I get a sheep, that means I can't go over here and get a break. If I upgrade my tolls, I won't be able to visit the mines. God has infinite meeples. When he blesses the people around us, it shouldn't make us jealous because it doesn't mean he's run out of blessings to give somebody else. It should get us excited that a God with infinite capacity for good has blessed a fellow undeserving human, and we can wait eagerly, expecting good things from him in the future, because when he does good for somebody else, it doesn't mean he has less good to do for me. One of the ways we have to shift our thinking is that other people winning doesn't mean I am losing. It means an abundantly generous God is working, and I can anticipate what he's going to do good for me next. When I saw people having kids, making birth announcements, and Darby and I were trying for 10 years to have kids, um, or even when I saw people adopting, and... They adopted so quickly. It was like three months and they were adopting and it took us four years I was jealous as if God giving them kids somehow meant there was less for me Darby's at home right now with a little girl our, our daughter We've adopted like we signed the papers this week because God's generosity to others didn't mean he didn't have any left over for me 
And sometimes when we're scrolling on Instagram and we see somebody else's life that looks like it's all together, it's doing, they just look like they're winning, winning, winning. That doesn't mean you're losing. That doesn't mean that God has run out of good. He always has infinite more to share with us. And uh, we're, we're just tickled and delighted and happy. And I just want to spread the word. Just because God is doing good for somebody else, it doesn't mean he's forgotten you. It doesn't mean he's run out of good. He's working in the waiting. And yes, there are little fingerprints all over my glasses that do not come out anymore. And I'm, everything I touch is inexplicably sticky now. But it's also the greatest story of my life. Maybe you feel that way about a promotion or a position that other people winning or getting something means there's less for you. Maybe you feel that way about someone getting the praise or the attention you feel like you deserve. I know I have at times. I'm like, why are they getting this? Like, why, why, why is this happening? What about me? Does nobody see what I'm doing? We must remember with Jesus there is always more good to go around. Just because somebody else is winning doesn't mean we're losing. Jesus is always endlessly pursuing relationships. And where we often pursue relationships for status or comfort, Jesus pursues relationships to give himself to others, not to get something from them. This is critical to understanding God, and especially the Trinity. God didn't create human beings to make slaves because he was hungry for glory. He's like, I'm going to create a people that just exists to give me glory. No, he created to share his love and goodness with others. He's endlessly pursuing relationships with people far from himself and endlessly pursuing the good of those he's in relationship with. When we think of the lottery, we're like, one person's going to win big, everybody else is going to be a loser. But God's like, what if everyone wins? The only people who lose are those who want to be the only winners, those who refuse to see and receive his generous offer to everyone. Our society is primarily built around this idea of earning, working hard in order to get what you deserve. And this is what makes Jesus' message and his kingdom so scandalous. He offers to all of us what none of us deserve. From those least deserving to those who are the best of us, Everyone can have communion with God, but it's not because of how good they are. It's because of how good he is. Throughout scripture, we see God pick the last place people for a special place of prominence in his story. Since the first will be last, the last will be first. If you feel like the worst, if you feel like the last, if you feel like the least likely to succeed, the weirdo and the outcast, you're the type of person that God's like, that's my first pick. Um, Remember gym class? when they would uh, choose two captains to pick teams for like kickball or some type of sport. This sounds familiar? Yes, okay. I think we have a picture, yep, there we go, of like a coach up there or a gym teacher and they're picking teams. I was always the kid picked last. There would be a kid over here in a full body cast and he would get picked before me. They're like, do not pick Alex, like he's terrible. Like I was clumsy, I was fat, like I was heavy, like I was not in good shape, I would like, drop stuff i would like go out in the field and supposed to be paying attention and i'd be like looking at the skies i'm like that looks like an animal you know and i'd get hit in the face with the ball nobody wanted to pick me the people that the world picks last are the people that god picks first we look to the attractive the intelligent the rich and the influential the people who look like winners um when israel was picking out a king They picked Saul, and it literally says, we picked him because he's tall and he looks like a king. God picked David, a boy who was so little, his father didn't even put 
didn't even bother putting him in the lineup for the prophet Samuel to consider as the next king. Notice what God says to Samuel in that moment. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his statue because I have rejected these. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. For a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There's sometimes where we look at people and we're like, they're winning. They're in first place. They're the best. And God might just look at them and say, ah, oh, their heart, they're actually lose, losing. So often I want the outward appearance of success that gets human applause instead of wanting the kind of heart that makes heaven applaud instead. We don't have to be depressed when we feel like losers, when we're in last place. Losers are God's first picks every time. We might just be winning when we feel like we're losing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the reminder that in your kingdom things are turned upside down. The values and the systems, the things that we think this is what I need to succeed might actually be things standing in way of us actually becoming successes in your eyes. And the moments when we feel like failures, the moments when we feel weak are the moments when you rush in and you say, when you are weak, I bring my strength through you. God, forgive me for so often chasing against a success that looks really good to the people who are uh, on the outside and actually the people who know me best many times when I seem most successful from the outside the people who know me best say oh you're actually turning into a bitter or angry or prideful person God help us to be a people who win on the inside and we're so grateful that the people that are overlooked the people that we walk by and we think man they look like they're losing in this world you say someday the tables